0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Jess. We are doing the Bible reading this morning, so I am reading all of Exodus chapter 5, and then I'm reading Exodus Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that I may hold a festival, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness." Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a 3-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of the Egypt of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appeal to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will be given, you will not be given any straw yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will not let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians.
1: So um, having having Siri map out your destination um, is all well and good except when you hit the roadworks and your perfectly timed, really simple, short trip that you plan to get the A to B real quick now takes a detour and it takes even longer and you eventually make it through and it's, you just feel like it's a disaster. And normally when we hit the roadworks, Natasha would lean over to me and say, you should have used Google Maps, not Siri. You know, of course, God is much better at giving directions than um, Siri is. But the frustration we feel of uh, discouragement we feel, like God's people did in Exodus 5 and 7, is tricky to navigate at times. After all, one minute, God seems so faithful, so good. He, he's heard about them. Um, he's faithful and good. He says, I'm going to rescue And then it feels like the next minute they wish God hadn't even shown up. Because it looks like life was better without him. And if you're like me, the next thing you do when you're stuck in roadworks is you say to yourself, I should have gone the way I thought, not listed to my GPS. Or as the Israelites thought here today, it's actually better to live without hope than to have a glimpse of it, and then for that to disappear. It's better to live without hope than to have the glimpse of it disappear. You know, last week we left Moses and God's people in a state of relief. They were worshipping God, chapter 4, verse 31 reminds us. Because God knows about them. They've been given this shot of hope that things are about to get better. And indeed, things will get better, much better in fact. But not in the way, not in the time that they expect. And by by the end of chapter 6, the relief, the worship, the belief in God is a distant memory as life gets incredibly harder when God shows up. As the people say when Moses tries to encourage them again, they did not even listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So the question is, what has happened to go from worship to bitter discouragement? What has caused this roadblock to redemption in God's people? And for God's people, like me trusting in Siri, the delay was the blockage. For them, it was Pharaoh making life much, much harder. But you see, the delay is actually part of God rescuing his people. Because it's in the delay that God exposes their hearts and reveals where their trust really lies. And I'll give you a hint. It's not in God. You see, if we expect redemption to be about comfort then you and me might be disappointed because it's often painful to have us in exposed. Like coming out of a dark cave, maybe at Moontu if you've gone there, you come out at the very end and it's, the light hurts your eyes. Not because the light's bad, but because you're so used to the dark and you have to adjust. And God's people, just like you and me, we're sinful to the bone, you see. And they're turning and trusting things for their identity that aren't good for them. And it hurts to have that revealed. So let's look at that in more detail today. Let's take a look at this. And I wonder if some of you here today are not thinking amongst yourselves, perhaps in your own life, maybe I should just go my own way. This Jesus business is, is, is too fickle, it's too far-fetched to make any concrete difference. So maybe today you'll consider with me, with a fresh mind and heart, the hope that God promises us, even if it's not what we think, and that maybe you're here today and you don't yet know that hope of Jesus that he brings. Well, it's great to have you with us and walk through this, and I, I do hope and pray you'd consider who this Jesus is a little bit more with us. So as we saw in the Bible reading, Moses and Aaron trundle on up to Pharaoh and boldly declare with all confidence you could possibly assert in the situation, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go, that they may hold a festival in the wilderness to me. But instead of the hopeful but God that you often see in Scripture when something tragic is about to happen but God you you see this dangerous reply of Pharaoh where he says who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go I don't know him and I won't let him go now this request angers Pharaoh so much he doesn't even stop to ask Moses well who is the Lord like Moses asked at the burning bush he was threatened he takes it out on his people He sees them with disdain, this Hebrew race, but he can't live without them because they're economically so good for his country. And so he says in verse 4 and 5, Moses, Aaron, you're taking them away from their labor. Get back to work. Look, they're so numerous, there's so many, and you're stopping these big group of people from working. And then verse 9 is where it goes from bad to worse. Make the work harder so they keep working and pay no attention to lying lips. Or to lies. What is Pharaoh's response to God's command to let his people go? Distraction. To drown out the voice of God, to make the pain and suffering the loudest voice they hear, the only voice they hear, in fact. God seem weak and worthless and a liar. And to do that, he makes their life harder by no longer giving them straw in verse 7. As slaves, they were brick builders, mud brick builders. You can still make mud bricks today. Maybe you've done that before in the past. And the key ingredient to hold the mud brick together was straw. Records from Egypt tell us some of Pharaoh's buildings took 24 million bricks to build. A strong, fit bricklayer did about 3,000 a day. They needed lots of bricks to build their economy. Here's what an inscription of one Egyptian said of the brick builders. We find this um, from archaeological evidence, and it says this, He is dirtier than pigs from treading under his mud. His clothes are stiff with clay. His leather belt is going to ruin. His sides ache since he must be outside in treacherous wind. His arms are destroyed with technical work. He washes himself only once a season. He is simply wretched through and through. That was the bricklaying slave right there. That's how the Egyptians saw them, demoralized beyond the point of being a human. A pig was better than that person. No wonder that news that God knew and had heard and had seen their life and affliction sounded so good. An escape from the daily pain, the burden of their existence. Just imagine, you'd never seen any hope. You and your kids, for 400 years, the only thing you know was being a slave. Wake up, be a slave. Go to bed, be a slave. That's all life was. Hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? Consider just last week, this week, in fact, actually, a woman from the eastern states emptied her saving super account because the government says we can do that now, and she trotted off to Tasmania with her two kids to escape a domestic violence situation. And in the interview, she said, I didn't really take the money for COVID, but the hope was so strong and the opportunity was so there, I could not afford to not do it. Hope is so powerful. But under this sort of pressure... As you'd imagine, God's people soon crack around the edges like their bricks are. They can't do their job, verse 4, so they're beaten worse than before and verbally abused as well. You know, sin is just a harsh taskmaster. It never, It's never satisfied, it never says thank you. Sin attacks God's promises and God's word exactly the same way Pharaoh is doing here. It says God isn't true, his word is a lie. Do not believe it, do not listen. And the discouragement hits them hard and fast, and that's our... Our second point, you know, I've noticed reading many of the news articles coming from Victoria during their lockdown, the dominant mood is one of absolute discouragement. The speed of the lockdown, it's their third attempt, the insanely high case numbers that they've been seeing, the tricky restrictions for every business to navigate, you mean not much good news is coming from our eastern state friends. The author of one article I read this week made the comment, she learnt the lesson just to not sugarcoated anymore. When someone says, how are you, you should just say, yep, not doing well. Life's hard. Of course, there are lots of differences between Victoria and God's people, and even in Adelaide, but the threat of discouragement is real, is it not? And how quickly discouragement can change our mood and outlook on life. Maybe you know that all too well. And, and that's the case here. Look at what happens in 15 and 16. They make this desperate appeal to Pharaoh. They say, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are not given any straw, yet we're told we have to make bricks, yet we're being beaten day after day. But but did you know how they spoke about themselves to Pharaoh? Listen again. Three times they say to Pharaoh, your servants, your servants your servants they see Pharaoh as their master they see Pharaoh as the one that gives them an identity and shapes their life their life is shaped by a brick laying slave driven lifestyle and that is a very hard thing to break it's often easy to define ourselves by something painful or not beneficial because at least I know that painful thing right Often the challenging thing about change is not the change, it's the unknown. It means we have to let go of something we've, we've held onto for meaning or security or purpose in our life. And that's a very hard thing, is it not? And for God's people to navigate life while trusting that God hears and knows and will rescue means you don't trust Pharaoh. But their only frame of reference is a life of slavery. And so when life gets wobbly, you are tempted to appeal trust the only thing you know because that's less scary than the unknown the trouble with pharaoh he's insane like ludicrous lies he says you know it sounds like a a drama on you'd see on broadway not in the bible really and so when they realise that they have lost control, when they realise that that things have gone from bad to worse, they do exactly what you and me do. We look for someone to blame and insult. And who's the person that we like to blame and insult the most? Well, it's the leader. It's the one who we perceive got us into this mess. How many posts have you seen abusing and criticising, mocking governments around the world, or some leader because they didn't respond this way to COVID when we hoped they would have? And so they perceive that the leader got them in the mess. And it's not ScoMo or Andrews or um, Marshall. It's Moses. In verse 21, they point the finger and they say, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious. Literally, you could translate that as stink. And it's play on words because as a slave brick building person, they would have stunk pretty bad. You made us stink to Pharaoh and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They are just a demoralized bunch of people through and through. You can't say it any other way. But at one level, they're right, are they? Are they not true? Because after all, if Moses hadn't have shown up, right, then things would not have gone from bad to worse. It would have been hard. It would have sucked to be a slave for any longer. But actually, they'd still have straw. Therefore, Moses, it's your fault. But that's misguided, isn't it? Moses isn't the cause of their problem. Pain often... makes us disorientated to reality because Moses is God's instrument to end the pain, right? And here lies the very painful and true matter and heart of all of us here behind the rebuke is the conviction that Moses needs judging because God would not have let this happen if he was good. The presumption that a good God would never let anything dangerous or harmful happen to his people is a very old, false belief. And poor Moses, he's just gutted at this point. And so he complains to God in verse 22. But you know, all of this, do you know what the core issue is that we've bumped into again and again? It's that no one actually knows God's character here. No one knows who God is. Because the delay has drawn out something much deeper in the people. It's shown us what's in their hearts, and it's not one of trust. God's delay has exposed their sinful hearts, their allegiance to Pharaoh, and how Pharaoh defines them. And that's when redemption begins to take place. Not in physically leaving, that's still a few days away, but in learning to trust someone new. You see, God wants to undo and release them from the trust and identity they had attached to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And the delay has shown us that. And it's at this very low point now that God is ready to reveal his name more fully. See, once your heart's exposed, once you know what's in there, God takes you and redeems you from it. You see, to hold out a picture of redemption and say, God, you will save me in this way, in this time, because that's what I want doesn't actually require any trust in God. It just requires you to plan really well, right? But when you start learning about the character of God, the one who can truly redeem you from yourself and your sin, then you can say, God, I know you're good. Save me like you want to. And that is a cry of faith. So what does God have to say to this demoralized bunch of people? This is our last part. And notice there is no reference in this bigger picture moment to their past failure, only a word for the future. You know, Australians, we are time-conscious people. Laid back, easygoing, but time-conscious. I know for me, one glance at the clock and my schedule, I feel the frustration of being time-poor or late. We keep an eye on the clock. We value me time or my time or family time or viewing time or work time. We hate hold-ups. A page that takes too long gets the flick. The endless line and traffic makes us grumpy. Many times, to my shame, I would say, my kids have felt the brunt of Dad's time-poor morning skills when we're trying to get to school. Hurry, 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 and they're just dawdling away because they have no perception of what time it is. But you see, God's timing, well, it's often running to a different tick than our talk. And that's the part of the struggle that God's people have here. They hope redemption will be instant, painless, according to their agenda, Turns out they're wrong. They're learning God's agenda has different dot points on it than theirs. And you see this in verse six, uh, chapter 6. Verse 1, God gives Moses the actual time of day. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. And then God, quite frankly, repeats himself from what we've already heard. It's as if God is saying to Moses, let's try that again, Moses, but let's do it my way. Listen closely. This is who I am. And then God gives them a fresh revelation of His covenant and His character. And notice first of all in this that they're not really playing a terribly active role in their redemption either. They simply have to trust God. The repeated use of the phrase, I am or I will, reminds us of that. Every time God speaks, He's saying to them, relax. I've got it. I will. It's okay. I am. My character's certain. You can trust me. And then he recalls the covenant. But he says something very interesting. He says, I did not make myself known to them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the same way, fully known to them. You see, through their redemption, they're going to know God. They will come to know God in a way their fathers did not. Because the Exodus will teach them about their God by experience. Experience. Salvation in Jesus is to be experienced too. Redemption is to be experienced. That's what they're going to learn. Their God is a redeeming God. And then we go on to see just why these roadblocks have happened. God is going to show himself as the true God to his people and over Pharaoh's false gods. Pharaoh's stubborn heart, which we'll look at next week, is a way for God's name to be magnified amongst the Egyptians, the Hebrew people, and into all the nations, as chapter 7, verse 5 also hints at as well. God is not concerned with his own people group, but with all the nations, all the world, knowing him. And those two things, exposing us in heart, God's name being made known across the entire earth to Egypt, are the reasons for the delay. And then God distills in verse 6, everything they need to know. What do you need to know today? What, what, what's your most pressing need? Seven verbs, each in the first person, God as a subject, reaffirming what he's going to do. I will bring you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will take you, I will be your God, I will bring you again, I will give you. One scholar says the name of Yahweh here functions as a guarantee, the reality, that stands behind the promise and will fulfill The promise. There's no other name to swear by than the name of God. It's the highest name. Therefore, because of that, He's going to guarantee it. God is steady and sure, even if Israel and Moses are just shaking at their boots, because the outcome's never in doubt. So Moses gathers up, gathers up this heavy pile of hope, dumps it at the feet of God's people, hoping to inject them with a shot of relief. Look, guys, I've got it. Everything you need to know. And they say, Oh, then it's anything because I don't listen. The discouragement and harsh labour is just too much to bear and so we leave them right now today the polar opposite from last week worshipping in chapter 431 to now discourage so much that I can't even hear Moses talking what is God going to do and that's next week and we'll see that but today as we close this little episode as we think about moments of great discouragement and disappointment there are two things I think we've seen God do that will be very helpful for you and me today especially as we think through individual discouragement that you and me face, the fears of our society, how as a Christian we give hope to others at this time. The first thing is, I think, the Lord is who we need now, first point. Secondly, endurance is what we need now. The Lord is who we need and endurance is what we need. So let's unpack that briefly. You know, Even though no one's interested in listening to a a sermon on the covenant at this point, It's the only hope and source of confidence that Moses can give to God's people because it's God's name and God himself that will guarantee the promise you're going to get out of here. You'll be released. You know, today we see that most clearly in the gospel of Jesus. After all, it's the gospel that stands at the beginning of our story of faith. It's where faith begins, It's where faith grows and continues to grow and conform to that gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter in the New Testament picks up on this too. In his letter, there is a dominant mood of discouragement that is to the people he's writing to. And it sounds very much like Exodus. If you read 1 Peter after we go through Exodus, you think he's taking cues out of the Exodus narrative. He says this in one thirteen: he says, set your hope on the grace of God to be revealed when Jesus Christ is fully revealed to you. He says later on, you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You didn't have hope, but now you've received Hope. He had no mercy, now you've received mercy. He says in chapter 2, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. And then even recognises the danger of our own hearts. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your very soul. You see, Peter Just like Moses and Israel are finding out here, they knew their hearts are prone to wonder. And in moments of fear and discouragement, they often do not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as loudly as they should. They hear all the noises around them. What that does is make us unstable and shaky. We turn to pharaohs in our life for relief. When God in Christ gives us all we need through the, his covenant with us, as Peter reminds us, that it is not through silver or gold or we could add to the stock market or our job security or our relationship status or bank account or stockpiling stuff that is going to give us hope. Rather, you were redeemed from your empty, futile ways handed down by your fathers through the precious blood of Jesus. He was a lamb without blemish or defect. what Peter does as God is doing in Exodus 5 7 is to point everyone back to God's character and covenant through Jesus by his guarantee in his blood to remind them that the Lord is who you need it's not just God's voice today we have, but the blood of Jesus and his resurrection that speaks to us and sadly God's people didn't hear that And and often I don't hear that either, and I'm sure you struggle with that too. Actually, it's what the religious leaders did uh, when they saw Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27. They said, Jesus hanging on the cross, look at him in the eyes, and they say, if you are the son of God, get off the cross. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he really is who he says he is. You know, they looked at Jesus They looked at his present circumstances, hanging on a cross, (laughs) not the best place to be. And they reasoned that if God is trustworthy and Jesus trusts God, therefore, you can't trust God because Jesus is on the cross. So either God isn't trustworthy or Jesus has not enough faith, right? Do we not conclude that in our own life too sometimes? But what if faith kept Jesus on the cross? He stayed to forgive you. To walk with you, to redeem you all the way in this life until you arrive home with him at the end. And you see what this does, when you know the Lord is the one to do the rescuing and saving it and it gives you, gives us endurance to keep going for the long haul. That's our last point. Endurance is what we need. That's something we need reminding of as Australians I think. Gospel work is slow being more like Jesus, sanctification is the word, is a long, lifelong process. God's timing and agenda isn't always the same as ours. There's often not a quick fix to things that we really want a quick fix to. Even though our redemption's secured, even though everything's, we've got God's character and promises, the pain of dealing with our past still lingers, does it not? Overcoming abuse, dysfunctional families, the addictions we have, dealing with our sin is a slow work of God, a sure work of God, but a slow work of God at times. Ian Duggard is the head of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. He says that each day we live the gap between promise and reality. He says the resurrection of Jesus changes everything our purpose, our ambition, our hope. But at the same time, we await that fulfillment too. So we live in this gap moment promise, uh, certainty. That means life will sometimes get harder and not better. It means we will have pandemics. It means there will be job loss. There will be stretched finances. You will feel overworked at times. There will be chronic illness that you will battle with. And your children will walk away from Jesus. But in that gap is how we learn to pray and trust our God and live by faith more and more. Because the gap exposes our own hearts and reveals where our hope and trust really lies. And sometimes it is not in God at all. And the gap is the place where God meets us too. But he gives us endurance to live and his grace to go on. It is not how much faith you have that makes the difference. It is the object of your faith that makes all the difference. So what does it look like to live the gap when life gets harder and not better? I want to show you the story of a young man called Mark Nathan. I've known Mark since he was in primary school and this is his story he filmed at Jesus Week this year at uni. And He's an example of life getting harder, not better, but how God exposed his own heart in the process and how the gospel of Jesus is sure, true and reliable and truly gives him hope. So this is Mark's story
2: for two minutes. Have a listen to this. Hi, my name is Mark and I'm a third year medical imaging student at UniSA City East. But aside from that, I'm also a Christian. Why? Because I'm convinced of two things about Jesus. First, that he really did rise from the dead. And second, that he really was the son of God. But This isn't just something I believe, it's something that redefines my whole life. A few years ago, I was in year 12 with dreams of being a dentist. I liked the idea of a clean, comfortable, well-paying and well-respected job. And the next year I got in. My path to comfort and my dreams looked secure. But I have a medical condition called an essential tremor. And pretty soon I realized this was a bigger problem than I first thought. I had a medication that was supposed to manage it, but it wasn't working well enough. At first, I think I was in denial. But when push came to shove, I knew that I could either spend a few years looking for a solution with no guarantee of success, or give this dream up. That was tough, really tough. My dream of being a dentist and the perks that go with it, the security I found in my own abilities, the comfort of feeling respected, and the sense of control over my own destiny that I thought I had. They were all exposed for what they were. Flawed, hollow, corrupted, and ultimately false. But then I remembered God. My situation didn't change. He didn't miraculously heal me or anything. But he did remind me of my purpose. You see, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, and really is the son of God, then my life has a different direction. It has different goals than my own comfort and my own security. His purpose is for my life bigger than the hollow and ultimately meaningless dream of being a dentist. If Jesus really is Lord, like he says he is, my fate is eternally bound to his. And that gives me a purpose and a hope that is far greater and far more secure than anything that could be found in this world.
1: Hey guys, that's Mark's story of living the gap. Why don't we pray Our great God, we thank you that you give us your word to speak to us. You gave us Jesus to speak to us too. That we're redeemed and rescued from our sin and ourself by his precious blood. And that because he rose from the dead, that changes everything. Our purpose, our ambition, where we find hope. So Father, as we live each day in this gap, when things often get harder and not better, Father, will we hear your voice as the dominant, loudest in our life? Would you remind each of us every day when we hit detours and roadblocks that actually you're at work. You're working to reveal our own sin so that you can forgive it. You're working to make your name known across the world. And you're working to help us build trust in you as we journey on in this life with the security of knowing where the future's heading, that just as you rose from the dead, Jesus, we will too will live a new life with you. So God, give us comfort and security in you this week in all the bumps that we face. In your name we pray, amen.